So, Kanye West was at TMZ uh, yesterday. First of all, I'm Van Lathan. Welcome to the Red Pill Podcast. We are going to talk to Damon John in just a second about all types of different things. We're going to talk to Damon John about how he built his fortune, um, uh, about branding, marketing, about financial literacy, how we increase it in our neighborhoods, uh, his journey, and how he was beating uh, uh, when he was doing his thing at his biggest, what life was like to go from um, sort of being uh, a struggling, hustling entrepreneur to having one of the defining brands uh, in hip hop fashion. We're going to talk to Damon about that in a second, but obviously I have to address the fact that Kanye West uh, came to TMZ yesterday and talked to Harvey on TMZ Live. I did not have any contact with Ye yesterday. Um, we didn't talk at all. Uh, he came here. He they did the interview outside, and then he proceeded to shoot a music video uh, in a ditch outside there at the TMZ office. Um, I am as baffled by what's going on with Kanye as anybody else. Obviously, uh, I'm probably going to be linked to him for the rest of my career, being that uh, there was a lot of attention to what happened, the exchange between him and I on TMZ Live earlier this year. Uh, but I have to say this. As baffled as I am uh, by what's going on with Kanye, I am no longer intrigued. I am no longer invested. I am no longer interested. And what I am wondering is why the rest of us are. Um, this is not a call for a boycott. Uh, Kanye West makes great shoes. Um, he makes music that people like. Still, I haven't heard some of the, some of the new stuff. So there's no reason not to support art and culture that you like. Unless it makes you feel bad to do it anyone who says that they can't support the music of someone who wears a make America great again hat I get that I completely understand that um, it, it, But anybody else who doesn't I'm not gonna call you a sellout of Uncle Tom or anything like that because you got a pair of shoes on Or because you're listening to somebody's music. Uh, I personally don't understand why Kanye wants to change the definition of something that's pretty securely defined I don't get his need and willingness uh, to step out on issues that he doesn't seem as if he's quite considered or parsed out and say things and then have to clarify them and then have to sort of uh, run around and do um, different media stops on him. I don't know why he won't just take his time, draw his bow, fire and hit his target. I don't know why he has to be so scattershot. But what I do know is that none of it seems to be substantive for us. None of it seems to be anything that works for us. I'm going to attempt on the, over the next couple of weeks to have um, uh, GLC, one of Kanye's cohorts, call up and, and talk to me. But none of this stuff seems like it, 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 it does anything for us but, uh, but upset us. And I'm wondering why we won't change the channel. Ye came up here, talked about a lot of different things, but n there was nothing to make me go, ah, that's it. I see. Okay, cool. All right, now it makes sense why he would be triggering us. Now it makes sense why he would be wearing a hat. Now it makes sense why he would be standing next to certain people. Now it makes sense. Oh, I get it. All right, cool, Kanye, go ahead. What he said about the 13th Amendment is not materially false. When he said he wanted to abolish the 13th Amendment, uh, that wasn't what he meant to say. What he meant to say was he wanted to amend the 13th Amendment and directly address the exception clause in it that says that forced work can be uh, put on an American citizen if they have been imprisoned. And sort of the historical implications of that exception clause and what it's meant to black and brown people. Get that. The question is, when are we going to get Kanye West to say it right the first time? When are we going to stop letting him and his misinformation or the fact that he's not speaking clearly or thoughtfully or truthfully the first time, when are we going to stop letting that bother us? Like, why are we still so invested when it's obvious that he's not the same guy? As to the hat, a lot of times when we meet people, new people, we shake hands and we dap up. Shake somebody's hand. Hey, come over there. You shake their hand. You dap them up. The handshake comes from a custom. So I've been told um, of opening your hand to someone else to show that there is no weapon in your hand. 
So when you meet when you meet somebody and you want to make a connection with them, the first thing that you need to do or the first thing that they did do back in the day was to open up their hand and say, listen, I'm meeting you. I mean, you no harm. I mean, you zero harm. Here's my open hand. Give me your open hand. We'll touch hands. No one's holding a weapon. There's nothing sort of uh, that that's hidden that's going to hurt you. It's difficult to talk to someone and receive information from someone who you know has a weapon, who you know has something that is hurting you, that is meant to hurt you, and that has been used to hurt you. And that's what that hat is. That hat is not an open hand. It's a weaponized element of hate that has been around since Donald Trump has made his ascension to the presidency. It's been used to reflect the views and the agenda of the Trump administration, which has pushed the political discourse in this country backwards, which has pushed the civility in this country backwards, not just to people of color, um, <clears throat> to women, to disabled people, to disabled people, the transgender community, um, and pretty much anyone else who America wasn't great for in the past. The slogan, Make America Great Again, harkens back to a time when uh, Americans didn't have to com consider complex issues like uh, gay and lesbian rights, like um, uh, prison reform, like police brutality, because everyone because things were homogenous for those who had power. Everyone that was in power looked exactly the same. Uh, everyone who could get along in society looked and felt exactly the same. Um, so because of that, the country was great for a select few people. That's not to say that we haven't had great times in the past as black people. To me personally, I think prior to integration, we maybe maybe have more functioning societies. We maybe have more functioning communities. If you give black people an opportunity and let them breathe, they're always going to find a way to be great, no matter what the circumstance and the situation is. It's just who we are. Um, but America hasn't been great for us. So there's no way that we can make America great again. There's nothing that we can go back to to make this country great. If America is to be great for African-Americans, it would be great in the future. It would be great at some time after this to where we've dealt with systemic inequalities to where we've dealt with the economic gaps that we see the educational gaps that we see the treatment of our women sometimes by our own men okay if america is going to be great for for black people it's going to take black people um and brown people and other minorities uh seriously and in a real smart intelligent vigorous way attacking these issues um for themselves by themselves and then demanding that other communities meet the standard that we set. That is what will make America great in the future. Donald Trump is not going to make America great for us or make America great, period. Neither are any of the people that are following him down the primrose path to a new civil war. And if Kanye West can't accept and understand why that hat is symbolic of that and uh, so destructive to the rest of us, I don't see why we keep trying to explain it to him. Let him wear it. Let him do his thing. I'm telling everyone right now that can hear my voice, you don't have to hate Kanye West. You don't have to despise Kanye West. You don't have to be triggered by Kanye West. You don't have to be disappointed by Kanye West. But you also don't have to care about Kanye West. There is nothing that says you have to care. Nothing. It's very possible that the guy that we all knew is gone. It's very possible he's still there. But what you don't have to do is keep searching for that answer. You don't owe it to anyone. If Ye is going to do beautiful things up there in Chicago, let him do it. More power to him. A lot of people say that he's very serious. A lot of people who I trust say that he's very serious. Let him do that work. Let it bear some fruit. But for now, everybody, pause, change the station. All right, now, that's enough of me on my soapbox. Damon John, Shark Tank, FUBU, Rich Dude. Pop some pills. Let's get into it. All right. Yo, white people, clap for Damon John real quick, man. <laughs> That's how it's starting? Like that? Before every podcast, we make the white people clap. All right. All right. And we especially do so when we have legends in the house. Uh, man. Thank you, brother. Brother, 
It is a pleasure to meet you, man. Oh, thank you, man. I love watching what you guys do as well, man. Appreciate so, it. Someone has had, I mean, golly, so much influence on the culture. So much influence, you know, all of our lives, man. Do you have any sort of... I don't know of, all about that, but... Uh, you don't think so? <laughs> I know I for sure. You know you know how I know you have a lot, you've had a lot of influence on my life? How's that? A homeboy of mine. Okay? He was working at Dillard's uh-huh. down in Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. We had to go to Southern's Homecoming. This is 1998. We had to go to Dillard's, Southern's Homecoming. Didn't have nothing to wear. We go to my homeboy. He knows who he is. I'm not going to mention his name. I'm like, yo... I need the FUBU sweater I saw Miss School with in the video. <laughs> That's what I need. Uh-huh. And he was like, come on down here and get it. He sold it to me. He sold me the FUBU sweater for $6. $6? Yeah. Because he was working behind the register. Oh, I got it. I got it. I okay, got it. So he sold us all of his FUBU stuff uh-huh. for cheap. Uh-huh. Uh, about a week later, he calls us up and he goes, once I want y'all to know right now I'm in Parish Prison. They arrested him. And he paid off the restitution for the rest of the time he was in college. And your brand did that for him. Give it up for Damon John, everybody. Got my homie locked up. (laughs) I I guess. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, but seriously, one of the earliest uh, brands I can remember that was um, sort of uh, run by young uh, entrepreneurial, up-and-coming young black males with you guys' brand. It exploded, okay. and it was everywhere, and it was stuff that you had to have. Man, well, I was inspired by Kanai. You were, by I see, what, I see, the Carl Kanai that I I'm see, wearing right I now? I see you representing Kanai. He's the one that inspired me. Mm. Yeah, he inspired so, you, and then yeah. you guys got into it. I know I don't want to do a whole career retrospective because sure. everybody knows like a lot about you, but kind of explain to me the climate, sort of what it was like for you early on in those early days, trying to get something started, trying to get your foot in the door, and how you were able to persevere and succeed? Well, you know, at that time, you know, uh, the, a lot of brands were just ignoring the hip-hop market. I mean, the hip-hop market was people that they felt just had to buy one of their brands regardless. And they didn't want to, whether whether uh, acknowledge them or even market towards, towards anybody in hip-hop. Um, and then uh, Cross Colors first you know west coast company popped yeah. and they you know you started seeing it everywhere and you started Chris seeing Cross, all those kids yeah, like yeah crisscross had it on everybody had it on different world was it was on yeah everybody and it was kind of like that statement of you know what i want to empower myself but you know they they were they were a company that really um you know took the 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 concept of how um we used to wear kente cloth and they put it basically in, in denim, you know, so you'd have mm-hmm. all the kente cloth colors, yeah. yellow, red, green, whatever the case is. And then Cock and I came out and I kept going, I like Cock and I because he definitely, he definitely had changed it. But I was like, why do we have to always have kente cloth colors? Why can't we just have a pair of jeans, whatever mm. the case may be, yeah. you know, and, and just be fly with it. So, so we started to really make the clothes, you know, at home and sell them on the streets and, um, and it slowly started to take off. And then, then uh, rumor is that Cross Colors did about $100 million one year of sales. And they went bankrupt the year afterwards because they had sold all their clothes in, in, a, in, a, in a retail called Merry-Go-Round. And Merry-Go-Round went out of business. Mm-hmm. So they basically had all their eggs in one basket at the right. time. And it left a huge void where all these big brands were looking to invest in smaller brands or, or distribute, you know, uh, you know, give them distribution. And so, you know, I started Fubu in 89 and I closed it three times from 89 to 92 because I kept running out of capital um, to put into the business. But uh, around 92, my friends and I just, you know, all moved into my house. We turned my house into a factory. And around 96, around 95, 96 is when people started really seeing me on a, you know, on a major level in stores. Yeah. Um, I was clowned. Like, LL Cool J did the FUBU commercial, iconic, right? Oh, excuse right. me, did the Gap commercial, iconic. And when LL did the Gap commercial, I'm sitting there with uh, one of my brothers, and I'm like, yo, man, this is it. Hip-hop is dead. And he's like, what? I'm like, LL Cool J is doing the Gap commercial. And he's like, my little, my brother looked at me, he's older than me. He goes, see, you little niggas don't know nothing. Uh-huh. I was like, why? I was like, look at his hat. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what's that? Uh-huh. I had never heard of y'all. I didn't, right. know, I didn't know who you guys were yet. He's right. like, look at his hat. That hat, that's a FUBU hat he's wearing. Did you hear what he spit? Uh-huh. He said, for us, by us, uh-huh. on the low. Yeah. So he was, he was like, LL, is, he's, he's messaging right now. He's doing his thing. He's putting that brand. He's using the Gap conglomerate uh-huh. to put this brand yeah, on yeah like crazy. what was the was there was that the plan 
No, no. Listen, L mm. went in there and he felt insulted at the way the Gap was kind of talking to him or, 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 or treating him about, you know, doing the commercial. He felt like they were trying to basically exploit hip hop. Mm -hmm. You know, they were riding the bandwagon of what they thought was hot at the moment. And he did it on his own. I couldn't. I mean, when I saw that commercial, I couldn't believe it. I mean, mm. they and it took them about two weeks to pull all the commercials and realize what had happened to Wait, them. Wait, they pulled the commercials? Yeah, they pulled it about two weeks in. They pulled it after they aired about $30 million worth of them. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, I saw the commercial on television. I never realized that they had actually taken them off television. They took them off. However, when they, when they checked the analytics, they realized the target market they were trying to hit increased 300% because the kids thought they can get FUBU with the gap. Mm. So then, about two months later, they would re-air the commercials. Oh, I see, I see. And so that's probably when you saw the, the, the yeah, run. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. at, at that point, like we had a store in back in Baton Rouge called Demo, mm -hmm. and Demo, very good client, very good, very uh, good. Demo was the place. I remember, I um, like I was a chubby kid, and I had gone in there in eighth grade to get like you know the Carl Kanai joint, mm -hmm. and I remember I got a Carl Kanai vest. And I was asking the lady, I was like, you know, okay, so like, you know, what else do I get? Like, do I get a shirt to put under this? She's like, no, you don't wear a shirt under it. Like, it's just the vest. You just wear the vest and then your <laughs> arms and this shit is out. Uh -huh. And I was swole. thinking, yeah, I was thinking there's no way I'm going to the eighth grade with my titties showing. So why don't you give me something to wear underneath it? Right. And so I put something underneath it. And then after that, that was my first experience at Demo. I would go back to Demo. Demo is where you would have all the stuff until mm. later on. I, it didn't even dawn on me that I started seeing FUBU in places like Dillard's uh -huh. where my homeboy worked. How did your brand expand past it being in places where you had to go to get urban clothing to being in those big department stores like that? Well, you know, that, that's the bottom line is the consumer dictates at the end of the day because when I first came out, uh, the Dillard's of the world wouldn't wouldn't support my brand because they said first of all there's four black guys on a hang tag so you're definitely a gang right so they Damn. thought we were a gang then they said well we don't want those type of people in our stores because those gonna, type of people they're gonna have shootouts and start shoplifting like you know like you and i are gonna have a shootout over a pair of jeans oh, right, buy, right. right literally they said that but the demos of the world and all the small entrepreneurs with the specialty stores mm -hmm. they would buy it they run out of goods. You know, they call you right away. They put it on their credit cards to buy some more. Right. They would tell you when you walked in the store, yo, you need to buy this and that. So what happened was those Dillards and, and the, the Macy's of the world, when they turned around two years later and they saw that person had one store and now had nine stores, mm -hmm. they were like, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, we losing out here. Right, 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 right. right and right. then, you know, and then the kids were asking, you know, for stuff in the store. So it took them about two years to come around after we really got it popping with, with the smaller stores. Hmm. What was the moment in your life when you went, fuck, I'm rich? Was there a point, because I'm still waiting for that? <laughs> so, like, like was, was there a point when you went, man, this worked? Like, like I'm, I'm here, I'm wealthy. Um, well, it was my 30th birthday, because I had bought... Um I remember buying uh, the the first Arnaud. Well, I, I bought I bought a Bentley, and I I had my house and everything. And I remember that I didn't want I, I I purchased my car, but I I had a bow on it, and I I had them not deliver it for two months because you know I wanted it on my birthday. And I realized, wait a minute, <laughs> it was three years ago when I didn't have a car. You didn't have a car, and now, and now you're this is like my sixth car, and, right. and, and now at the time, and I. I I got it enough to have them, you know, deliver when, deliver you when I want it. Right. Uh, I, that was that was when I said, "Wow," you know. But however, I would go ahead and I would I would blow ten million dollars not on cars, mm -hmm. but I didn't understand. I didn't have financial intelligence at the time, and I didn't realize, you know, you put into the market. It's and the market is high. Of course, the market is going to take two steps back and crash or go or or, or sometimes have a challenge. And mm -hmm. I got so scared, I would put in money, take it out, put it in high, take it out low. Mm -hmm. You know, get buy the extra two and three homes and not think about how I have to furnish. Them and the and the real estate taxes on them and not take depreciation on them. So I would turn around and be out of $10 million and go, wait a minute, maybe I'm not as wealthy as I think. Mm. Because if I keep up this way of spending or not having financial intelligence, it's not going to last forever. Yeah, financial intelligence is something that um, when we talk about all of the problems that are that beset the black community. Yeah. One that we never really talk about is is financial intelligence. Yeah. And this is something that I learned the hard way working here. You know, 
you know, a lot of my, um, obviously you walked in the newsroom, you see that everybody out there is white. And so uh, when, when I would look around when I got to TMZ, when I started to make a little bit more money here, my salary increased a little bit, I would get into conversations with other people around my same deal, and I would realize that they had a lot more going on financially than I did. Mm-hmm. They were a lot more diverse. Uh, they had little like rent house properties. They sure. owned little stuff. There was sure, all sure, sure. kinds of things that they were doing, and I didn't have none of that. Right. Um, I was renting an apartment, and I had a Honda Accord. Right. You know what I'm saying? So why do you think as a community – we haven't been able to make better strides in understanding the way money works. I think that first of all, we don't we didn't have generational wealth, so the knowledge wasn't necessarily passed down from our grandparents to our parents mm-hmm. to, to us. So yeah. a lot of that is generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that's how you learn what to do. That's how you learn what to do. Why your parents and you know my 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 uh, my great grandmother was a slave. You know, uh, you wow. know, uh, you know. Um, and my grandmother just, you know, clean homes and, you know, wash, you know, wash people's toilet bowls. And my mother started to have a little bit of financial intelligence. And then and I have now. Um, that's probably the main reason why, mm-hmm. you know. So and we also, you know, we've been we, we we're in the culture where, you know, we wear our wealth on our sleeve. And that's the way that we try to find our identity and or respect. And in the advertising world, we're called shoes. We're called super heavy, heavy users. As hmm. soon as the dollar comes in, it goes out. And wow. we are called shoes for that reason. So um, now that we're getting to a point to where we have, uh, I guess, it seems to me now, and this could just be the way it seems, and I'm not basing this on any data, that we have more black billionaires than we've had before. Where there seems to be some sort of you know, economic change, at least at the top. You're being able to see people that have a lot of money sure. to spend and things like that. How do we sort of, what needs to happen for black people for the culture, for not even black people, for even just poor people, yeah, or uh, lower middle class people to come more fi- become more financially literate. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. It's not just a black thing because if you look at lotto winners who come into a massive amount of money, you know, um, due to winning the lotto, they act the same way. 60, uh, uh, 60 to seventy percent of them are bankrupt three years after that. Mm. Right, so this is a this is a financial intelligence conversation, and it needs to be, it needs to be taught at a very young age. It needs to be taught in, uh, you know, in in well, grade school, not high school, grade school. Because, think about this, you know, if you're not taught about financial intelligence and how interest works and how interest can affect you, uh, you know, or compounding interest and compounding numbers, and you're not taught that, all of a sudden you're able to get two hundred thousand dollars in student loans at 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 18 years old and credit cards at that time what are you going to do at that time if you don't know how to utilize this 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 instrument yeah so it really is teaching financial intelligence at a very young age and like how do you do that like what do you like there's, what you... there's curriculum i mean it should be done in school tell you the truth okay. and, you know I, I don't know how much i need to go to a woodworking shop but i definitely know that financial intelligence is something that should, should be taught right right so that needs to be done in school and of course if you know you can't leave it up to the government to do these things you have to be a, a parent to do these things but if you don't have financial intelligence yourself how are you gonna you know implement this within kids hmm. yeah what like i, I always wondered this like i want to be rich Everybody wants to be rich. Everybody wants to have all of these things and 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 have all of these goals. If someone asks you just a very basic question, Damon John, you're a rich guy, right? Someone asks you a very basic question: How do I become rich? What would be your answer? <clears throat> well, it'd be a hard answer to give them because I don't want to give them the old nice, warm and fuzzy thing. Would do what you love. But in the reality of it, it is do what you love and keep educating yourself on how to do that. Don't quit your day job. Keep putting in a lot of time on what you love, what you would do for free. Because mm-hmm. I would address people for free the rest of my life. I love clothes. Oh, okay. And do what you love and you will find ways to make money if you educate yourself on that business of what you love to do. And I don't know what it could be. I mean, it could be sitting here talking. You know, right. you know, you chop it up and before you know it, you're a big broadcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. got to do something you're absolutely obsessed with. Right. It's funny because you said that you know don't quit your day job i had another damon in here damon dash Uh uh-huh and he shout out to dash man dash i'm not quitting tmz just yet dash is begging me to quit my day job why what he says is that he says that the only way to truly be a boss 
and get money and do your thing is to not have a day job, be able to put all of your passion into, <clears throat> excuse me, all of your energy into your passion, not take time away, not hustle for a weekend, uh, and just however you got to get it, get it, but put all of that energy into yourself. Yeah, I disagree. I couldn't disagree uh, more. Hmm. You know, because I'll give you an example. I worked at Red Lobster for five years while I did food. I was making $30,000 a year. That's not a lot when you're living in New York City. Mm -hmm. I was renting out my house to all my friends. So it was like an Airbnb at the time. And this was back in, you know, 89, 90, 91. I was, uh, and I would go to a Red Lobster, start working at about 11 to get for the, for the lunch shift. I would leave at about 9 or 10. Then I would sew hats from 10 till 2. And then I'd get back up at about 6 and deliver the hats and then get back to the office, get back to mm. to. Red Lobster, and I did that yeah. for five years straight. Right. Five years straight, no days off. Now, think about it like this. I was making $30,000 a year. That means that in five years, I had a, I, I had $150,000 worth of, of, of salary over the course of the time. I was taking home the food. I was, uh, you Cheddar know. biscuits. Yeah, all day, all day. Living I, on them. I was using all the girls that I was banging in Red Lobster to help me, uh, you know, <laughs> go to the flea markets and stuff you. like that. Word. I had medical. I uh -huh. had insurance. And I would have had to do $2 million of business in FUBU to come up with the same $150,000. And I wouldn't have done that. So I would have lost my house. I would have lost everything. I just had to grind it out. And the 20% time I was putting in uh, into FUBU turned into 30%. You know, 40 percent. And then I felt comfortable enough to take the leap mm -hmm. because I had already uh, had five years experience and I had a home to live in. You mm -hmm. know, so I can't I can't agree upon that. Hmm. Do you do you see at all what he's trying? To, I think what he's trying to talk about is he, the entrepreneurial. He, yeah, he, he's trying to say go hard or go home and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, reality is you may have a family. You may yeah. need medical. You know, you know, and if, if, if you lose your family during the course of the time of running the business, what does the business matter? Yeah. You know, so. I just don't agree upon that. Yeah. So um, something that I'm interested in, like, uh, is you talked about sort of uh, the way advertisers look at black people or look at, you know, um, I guess people from uh, middle class or lower middle class incomes. Um, black people seem to be, our, our, our community seems to be in the culture, obsessed with brands. Yeah. Brands matter a lot, right? Sure. Um, and I'm not gonna say I'm immune to that. That like uh, right now we're seeing something with Nike. Mm -hmm. uh, Nike is now um, because of what they did with Colin Kaepernick. Nike is sort of the uh, the talk uh, of the culture. Yeah. Everyone's wearing Nike. Everyone is uh, uh, sort of proud to wear Nike. Nike is a symbol of freedom. Sure. Um, do you think? In your opinion, knowing branding, having worked with brands, huge brands, having started a huge brand, uh, do you think that having that putting sort of um, cultural or social capital into a brand like that from a black perspective is smart? Do you think that people that are doing that, do you think that's a good thing to do looking at Nike as a heroic institution other than something that wants to sell you shoes and hats and clothes what do you first of all what do you think about what Nike did with Colin Kaepernick I think what Nike did was brilliant mm -hmm. um, I think that it was very calculated but very smart and they could have they could have waited five years, ten years till his situation was over or he was put on a pedestal to 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 secure their bet but they also took a chance mm -hmm. um, but you know it your other question is, do you think, you know, using these social causes in that sense are beneficial or, or not beneficial? What I'm asking is, are we is are black people doing too much right now in sort of or are, is the culture, shall I say, not just black people doing too much right now in sort of the worship of Nike that's happening right now? No, I don't think so. I think okay. that because that's a conversation that people are having right now. Like I, how I, altruistic can a corporation be? Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that is it's a good moment. It's a proud moment and that um, we can be, you know, listen, we'll go out there and, 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 and talk about every other brand. Like if they're, you know, uh, God and, <laughs> and they won't be they won't support. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I think that is, is absolutely amazing what Nike did and that, that African-Americans and people who believe in freedom and, and right of speech and justice. Mm -hmm. they, they, they tip their hats to them. It's OK. It's a good moment. OK, yeah. cool. I like hearing that from you because we've been having that conversation about, you know, what is what does it really mean? Like, obviously, if they crunched the numbers and it didn't work out for them financially, do you think they would have still done it? 
So if Nike, if Nike, yeah, you know why? Because they did take a risk. You know, listen, you think that Nike, you think that Nike, if Nike had crunched the numbers and they said, listen, this is going to hurt our stock, this is going to hurt us, you think they'd have still done it? They don't know if they can crunch the numbers because we're talking about emotional, uh, an emotional purchase, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you don't have to think about whether the kids are going to buy it, but how do you know if the person at the head person at Foot Locker didn't agree upon what they were going to do, and then they don't want to take in anything Nike or they cut their spend on Nike right right so this is not only at the counter side this is only the, what about their shareholders or the board members yeah right uh, they I can't say that everybody in their organization and or the purchasers of the product meaning the corporations who purchase the product would agree yeah I can't you know isn't isn't Nike a big supporter of the NFL Huge, right? So, we don't know what they would what, what would have happened. So mm-hmm. they did take a risk. You know, they didn't have to take that risk. I mean, there's a million athletes that could support it for sure. So yeah, for sure. I mean, listen. See, this is why you have conversations with guys like Damon John, because I don't really know nothing that he just said. Like, <laughs> yes, like, you like, do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I I, I understand it, but when I think of it, it it's the the reason why like Shark Tank is always so. Uh, so fascinating for me to watch is because somebody comes in there in Shark Tank, right? And they present a product. And I'm like, yo, fucking Thomas Edison just walked into the room. That's the greatest <laughs> shit I ever heard of in my life. And Damon and them sit back and they go, have you thought about all the problems that you're going to have on the supply side, especially in the third quarter of the macroeconomic year? I'm out. And I'm like, and, I, and I'm like, yo, you don't want this product? How could yo, you not don't, want listen, this? Listen, that happens to me too sometimes. Sometimes I'm in Shark Tank and I'm like, I'm like, it's almost like double just I'm about to get in. Oh, I'm about to get it. And then Robert would say something so crazy that I'll go. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, and for that reason, yeah, I'm, out. I'm out. Right? So, so don't give me. You know, it, it happens, right? It, it's a learning right. process on all levels. You know. So, how, what, what to to you? Because um, I'm sure everybody wants to work with you right now. What to you denotes a business that's uh, solid enough for you to invest in? What attracts you? Like, what do you say? I, I like something like this. Just an overall archetype. It's a, they have a proof of concept. Have they sold anything to anybody and do they know their numbers? Meaning that they don't have to sell a million dollar worth of stuff, but they said, listen, I did a small test in Queens and I know that my customer is 18 to 35 year old female and her average spend is $9.99. And every time I, I put out an ad on Facebook for $100, I get back 300 They really know their numbers and, and they can replicate mm-hmm. this product. And they may not be making a lot of money. They may go, so if I get over 1000 or 10,000 or 50,000 units, I can bring down the cost and mm-hmm. all the things seem right and they seem like they they know where their customer is and now they need to keep up with the order, but they don't want to turn the faucet on yet because they don't have the backing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and then all it, it's also got to be somebody who's failed a bunch of times in the past. Failure is important. They Talk have about that. To, Why? They have that because they, they, first of all, know what road they shouldn't go down anymore. They still have the passion and the and the grit for it, so there's a reason why it's going to work out no matter what. And you want a partner who's not going to quit because if that business doesn't work out, then we'll do another business together. Mm-hmm. They're problem solvers, you know, yeah. and that that tends to be the people that uh, you know I like. So it's weird because the way when we're when the layperson or the non sort of mogul is watching Shark Tank, you know what we're focused on the idea. Yeah. We're focused on the invention. We're focused on like, yo, I just made a cool way to take a wig off in 4.5 uh, nanoseconds. Right, right, right. I just made it like, look at this. I can put these clip-ins in and you can't even see them and then they dissolve and they become part of my hair. And we, and like, and like, we, and we, and like I, I, we see stuff like that. We go, yo, well, like, fucking, why wouldn't Mark Cuban, Mr. Wonderful, and Damon John want that? Like, right, what the right, fuck right. is going on with these guys? Right. So for you, the numbers actually matter. How, how much do the numbers matter in terms of, uh, excuse me, I guess juxtaposed to the actual idea and concept itself. The numbers matter more than anything else because if you came up with that idea with that wig, if you didn't sell it, how are you going to educate people that that exists? Are you going to you, you need a million dollars for commercials? You know, but if you sold it, somehow you got to people, mm-hmm. and somehow you know you understand why they're going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna buy it at that price. You know, the the the, the wig remover may cost a hundred dollars, and people don't want that because it costs too much, and you had to put too much into it, or it can cost four dollars. But where are you gonna buy it, 
You're going to buy it in, 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 what's your distribution chain like? You know, you're going to buy it in stores. It's going to be direct to customers. You're going to sell it at a kiosk. Or you're going to attach it to wigs, right? you know, and upsell the current customer who's buying a wig. Yeah. You know what's crazy is the wig product, you're probably going to be able to buy that in the same place where you could get like 10 chicken wings for $1.99. <laughs> He's probably going to walk in there into a place where you can get 10 chicken wings for $1.99 and then also the wig product. Yeah. We know what I'm talking yeah, about. Exactly. Y'all all been to the hood. Um, so <laughs> FUBU was the hottest thing in the world at one point. Then it wasn't. Right. First of all, before I even get into when you realize what was that like, did you see it slowing down? Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, we saw it slowing down, and then we would go out and try to, and we would acquire other brands. I acquired Kappa. Uh, I brought Kappa here, and that didn't work. Um, we brought Ted Baker here, um, and we gave that back. That didn't work, and then I would end up buying Kuji, the brand Kuji. Oh, really? Yeah, we bought Kuji, and I never knew that. That's Shout why, out to Big. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I went yeah. from sweaters, and then when we What's bought it out of bankruptcy. And you sort of saw, seeing the jeans and the sneakers yeah, and all that yeah, stuff yeah, we yeah. have. But, um, yeah, we saw it coming um, because, well, if you really look at your history, a hot fashion brand lasts five to seven years. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then it, it may come back, but most likely it's not. Now, you know, I know there's the unicorns, like, and I, and I, and I tip my hat to, to, to Louis Vuitton and Nike. I was about to ask and, you about and, that. And the yeah. ones that can stay around. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? They have, the, but those are the Michael Jordans of the, the game, right? right. Um, but Do you it, ever think there'll be brands like that? within our culture because it seems like we support excuse me we support uh, Louis Vuitton and Burberry and 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 Fendi and Chanel and all of these people like that and we keep those brands Louis Vuitton has been around for like 150 years or something like yeah, that yeah. right we keep all of those brands hot that mm -hmm. seems like to be aspirational to us will we ever have will the culture ever have a prestige brand like those I don't know. I think I think it. Yeah, I think it absolutely can happen. But you know, we have turned away from those brands too. I mean, it's not like we just stay. You know, we just stay with those brands. I mean, let's look at what was hot when we were coming up. Uh, Benetton. Mm -hmm. I, we don't, I don't know where Benetton is anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, uh, La Tigre or or uh, Izod has made made somewhat of a comeback. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we we hop on and off brands. And but if you look at the cycle of a brand, if you were wearing Fubu all through high school. You don't want to wear it in college. Right. You that's, that was what I was wearing in high school. If yeah, you got yeah. five years of Fubu and you was over Fubu in yourself, mm -hmm. you got a closet full of stuff. Then you're like, eh, you know what? Let me let me change up a little. I know bit. what I changed to too. What did you change to? I went to Sean John. Sean John. There you go. Right. So yeah. so it, it's it's an evolution of, mm -hmm. of brands, and you know, and then from the business side as well, we hurt ourselves not. And this is this is how I've learned from failure. We hurt ourselves in the business side because we would not have a calculated buy. We would go and buy uh, $200 million, $300 million worth of product because we know that we were going to get $200, $300 million worth of orders. Mm -hmm. When you start slowing down, and when you're, when, you're, when you're buying $300 million worth of product a year, broken sizes, uh, you know, um, uh, color, you, you decided to do fuchsia, it wasn't hot. And so the inventory starts to add up over five and 10 years. And you mm -hmm. turn around, you got $50 million worth of product in your warehouse. Wow. So now you now you need to offload it. You sell it to Burlington and all those places. So now you're going- Is that how they get those clothes? Of course, you offload, you offload these clothes to Burlington, to TJ Maxx and all those places oh. like that. You actually make for those companies too, because Ralph Lauren probably does more business in TJ Maxx than he does anyplace else. Mm. But if I'm offloading a pair of jeans that I'm I've had now you, for three TJ years, <laughs> yeah, no, they're you on. They're yeah. on. Mm -hmm. If I'm if you're finding my jeans in TJ Maxx at twenty dollars, well then when you go to Macy's and it's eighty, you're gonna go, why the hell am I buying it here? Mm. So then the brand starts to collapse, and that, and that's how uh, you know brands start to collapse. It's called over inventory. Did you? Was there a moment? To where you were like, uh, first of all, what specific, do you remember a specific year or a specific time period where you were like, it's, it's kind of coming to an end as far as Google? 2003, mm -hmm. 2004, it started to slow down. I mean, we still exist, but it started to slow down and then we started to concentrate on our more on our international business. Mm -hmm. But uh, 2001, people obviously because of 9-11, um, there was a hard retail dip. Everybody started nesting and staying yeah, home yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, weren't, they yeah. weren't trying to mess with anything else. So the, it started to come back a little bit, 2002, 2003, but at that time we were also pushing Kuji up, so Kuji started to grow. Mm -hmm. And then... 2008 came and nobody was selling anything no matter what you had mm -hmm. so uh you know so so that was the cycles so what happened how, how did damn 
how did Damon John reinvent himself? I mean, not even reinvent himself. Like, how did you go? Because um, when I told people that Damon John, shout out to Chauncey, by the way. When I told people that Damon John was coming on the podcast, everybody was excited. Nice. Thank you. Everyone was excited. Thank my you. mother tells you, my mother told me to tell you that she's figured out a way to take her curling iron. Uh-huh. And, are you <laughs> laughing at my mama's invention, Austin? <laughs> my mother has figured out a way so the curling iron will never burn another black woman. And you laughed at that. So you want to see us sisters walking around with scabs on their heads and on their necks and shit like that. My mom is trying to shoot her shot with Damon John over here. And you sitting <laughs> over there laughing, bro. It's not bad enough that you... Well, anyway. Um, <clears throat> you're laughing at my mom's invention. I'll show you the schematics later on, bro. She wants... But here's the thing about mom, though. She wants a million straight up. She hasn't sold shit. Right, she right, wants... Right. Like, like she wants... She she needs a million she dollars. She sound like my mom. So. She, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She needs... I, I told her, I was like, Mom, why don't you get out there and sell it? He said, I don't need to sell it. Uh-huh. It's a million dollar idea. Tell him to give me a million dollars. I'll make him a billion dollars. I'm like, that's how that works. I love yeah. it. Um, uh, but... I, I guess, what, like, what I'm saying was, was like, how did you go from, sort of, the 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 guy who put together Fubu, um, like one of the biggest brands in the culture, biggest brands, period, to being on Shark Tank and being someone who people look at as a financial and marketing and sort of product guru. Well, I never thought Shark Tank would work, and I didn't have that in my... <laughs> you never I, thought it would work, straight up. Straight up, I never thought it would work. Who wants to see four or five businessmen, just women and men, talk about crap all day? But, mm-hmm. you know, you got... You know, I always say you get Mark Manette in there, you know, and he puts a little bit of music to it, and he go, cuts to a commercial right before we're about to crack somebody right in the before. head. Yeah. Then then all of a sudden, you, you got something here. But, um, I was, again, I was going back into doing something that I love. I was starting to, you know, do a little bit of public speaking and writing books because I wanted people to know that if me you know somebody who doesn't have a talent for you know uh, a musical talent or sports or anything else like that if i can make it anybody could mm-hmm. and i started writing these books and started to educate people i think i was on either donnie deutsch the big idea or whatever cases because i started doing a whole bunch of interviews and shark tank called mm-hmm. and when shark tank called i said all right well you know if i'm gonna do it um, my own contingency was i get to speak to mark burnett and pitch him some show ideas i said because uh, i don't want to do the show mm-hmm. but it was 08, and you know I had ten clothing brands, and eight of them were dead because of the you know recession we were going through. And I figured, Crazy. all right, yeah. if I go on the show, maybe I'll be able to get some more real estate at department store. Maybe I could buy something that's a lotion company or a, or electronic company. I can use my distribution abilities mm-hmm. to get more real estate. Yeah. All of a sudden, I go on the show, and I find now that this show is not about uh, you know getting deals. It's about the American dream, and that. I was gifted this opportunity to go on there because now all of a sudden I'm learning from the, the kids who are coming up on the show and how they're doing business. I'm applying that to my business. Now the show is a big commercial for somebody. So anybody I invest in, I know their their stuff is more than likely going to get a good pop and we can make my money. I can make my money back. And American families are now saying I can come home and watch something with my kids or I can I can, I can have a conversation with my family about this stuff. And I just find out it's something bigger. And I keep I then kept reinvesting into the the, the wanting to educate people. Mm. Do have you have you made like a, a like a, a shit ton of money of any of the businesses you've been involved with in Shark Tank? Yeah, a couple. I have. I've lost money, too. Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, what's crazy is like when we watch Shark Tank, the, you know, why Shark Tank works is because. Shark Tank is uniquely American, being that there's an ideal in America that the race to American happiness is about gatekeepers versus insurgents, right? Mm-hmm. Upstarts versus royalty. Mm-hmm. And when that person walks into that room in Shark Tank, mm-hmm. I am them. Uh-huh. I want to see them. First of all, I want to see y'all fight over how good their shit is, right? Because <laughs> right. I want to believe that I am them. Right. You guys are up there, a bunch of kings and queens, <laughs> holding sort of uh, riches and all different types of situations <laughs> in your hands. And all you got to do is break it off. And this person has to make you give them a piece of the American dream. Whoever conceptualized the show, it was a winner in the room, in the pitch room, because 
There's never been someone that's been on Shark Tank that I haven't wanted to walk out of there with. And there have been some people that have walked you know out of there. there. You're not out there saying to some of the people, yo, you're killing yourself. Sometimes they uh, fuck up. Right, so right, like right. Sometimes, they, sometimes people go in there and they go too much. But then anytime somebody holds out for more money and they walk away, I immediately Google them. If you hold out for more money and you go, I can't take the deal, I immediately Google them because I say, I want this person to be richer than every motherfucker up there immediately because they weren't willing to sell, but normally you never hear from them again. Um, no, well, I mean, the guy that did do that. Ring. He's a shark now. He's on the show. See? $1.1 billion he sold it for. He shouldn't have gone on there. He should have started his own shark. He should have started Dolphin Tank. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I turned him down. Was like, do you do you do you regret not doing the ring situation? No, and he even said it. He said he was asking too much at the time. He said he didn't know what he didn't know. So you tell me right now, if you had the Gray Sports Almanac, uh, Back to the Future Part Two situation, and you could you could go back in time. If Doc Brown walked in here right now, I said, "Hey, uh, Damon, let's go back in time." Uh, you know, you fucking fly. You wouldn't go back in time and redo the ring deal. What are you crazy? Of course I would. I did, man. But I just said, do I regret it? I didn't <laughs> right. have that book. <laughs> right. I, if I had that book, I would have <laughs> a lot of things I would have done. Mm, it's true. Um, so, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. Okay. Um, LSU beat Auburn this past weekend. It was a big victory that made me talk to some of my friends from back in Baton Rouge. I was talking to him. He runs a small business in Baton Rouge. Um. And he said something to me. He said, uh, he, he, he's a friend of mine. I've known the guy since I was 12 years old. He's a white dude. And he said uh, he's a part of some business association in Baton Rouge, and he looked around in the business association. He's like, there are no other black people. There are no, there are no black people in this business association. Mm. He raised it uh, in a meeting, and immediately the people that were in the meeting with him uh, started acting a little crazy with him. Like, why are you bringing this up? Mm-hmm. Who do you think this are? He just goes, I just think it's weird that we're here doing all of this stuff and there's there's no other black guys, no black businesses, no black whatever that's involved in this. And he said something to me. He said, for the first time in my life, I realized how much harder it is for a black man to get rich, a black woman and rich, a black person to get rich sure. in America other than the white people because of little small advantages. I never even realized that that was right. happening. Right, right, right. Um, do you think... That is, how much harder, should I say? Let's say that it's a foregone conclusion that it's harder. I'm not sure if you think it's harder or not, but let's say this for How much harder is it for a black man to get rich in America than it is for a white man to get rich? I don't know. How do we judge harder? How do, what's the scale? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, think it's, I think it's very, very hard. Um, is it harder? It is. It is. Because you, harder for a black man to get rich? Oh, of course it is. For yeah. a black man or black woman, black I think... Woman, yeah. um, uh, Listen, it could be my own opinion on how I'm not sure, but if we just look at the stats, mm-hmm. it's it's clearly a, a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Again, generational wealth, uh, it starts there, and if generational wealth is not there, and then if you, if the education system is not there, and if you put in, you know, uh, guns and liquor into the community, and it's all all available there, and the and the community is not governed, mm-hmm. then you start off already at a disadvantage. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, of course, it's much harder, hundred percent much harder. If there was one thing that you could see, that you could change, that you think could even the playing field, what would that thing be to you? I don't know. Having what, done it, I don't know one thing that could be well. You know, you don't want charity because charity has never proven to go ahead. It doesn't work. It, it, charity hasn't ever given Only systems people. work. Yeah, system. I think it would be a, 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 a some form of mentorship through uh, that could be given. That could be not given. That, you know, allowing kids of any minorities or any anybody that doesn't have resources to be around much smarter people, you know, right. and not... You know, and and not be overwhelmed by, you know, thinking that music and this and that. So, I, you know, I, I love the sports thing. It keeps kids healthy, but you have to also, you know, uh, the mind has to be educated as well. And mentors are the only ones who could do that. Hmm. How much free clothes did you guys give out at the height of FUBU? Free promo clothes. Free pom- promo clothes. Uh, our, we were giving out about $4 million. Was it 30 No, no, I'm sorry. It was $20 million worth of clothes a year. You were giving away yeah. twenty million dollars worth of clothes a year. I believe it was that. Do you remember any specific act or artist that wanted the most Fubu? 
No, they all wanted it at the time. They all wanted. They it. all wanted it at the time, and we twenty we, million a year of free stuff. Yeah, was it worth it? Were you getting back? absolutely, absolutely? Because that's when you saw it everywhere, I every did see single it everywhere. place. And we st- we stopped giving out that amount because we realized what they would do is they would just all their friends would take it. This that's was, true. You know, so we were like, all right, well, why are we sending him, you know, ten thousand dollars worth of clothes? Why don't you send him five hundred? Right, and then it's just for him. Yeah, yeah. So, so it it was there. Was the LL Cool J thing the moment that you realized the brand had kind of crossed over and it was going to be a big deal, or did it come before then? No, no, it was way after then. Um, oh, way after. Yeah, I think I always had a healthy paranoia, and I always knew that fashion comes and goes, and I just, you know, I, uh, you know, it was after. After we started to build out the stores and we had we we were growing in the business, we started to get licenses, meaning we were doing men's, but now we had ladies' boots, bags, and it was mm-hmm. more appealing to the whole family could buy stuff. That's when we started to realize, all right, we we have something, but don't get too comfortable. Were you single at this time that this was all popular? No, I wasn't. I was, I, was, I, was, I was married. I was married. Oh, you were married? Yeah, no, no. I was oh, married. damn. You fucked up, dog. I'm not even gonna lie. Why's that? Cause, bro. I mean, that's good for you. Shout out to your lady and, you know, the marriage, you know, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, find happiness and, you know, all of that. But what are you saying? What are you I'm saying? trying to say is if I was the king of urban streetwear culture in the era of the video vixen. Yeah, no, no. So I. It might have been I, nice. So I, I got divorced and then I started beating. <laughs> <laughs> I was beating. <laughs> A lot of them that may be on TV, I was beating. <laughs> My cup was runneth over. All right. <laughs> beating. I that, that's I would expect that, man. Was it just like was it was <laughs> shit? I was not expecting you to say that. Um, was it just it was crazy? It was crazy though. It was crazy. 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 Like the wild Wild West out there, man. It was fantastic. It's video fixes. I bet it was, but damn. Yeah, it's not that. even like that anymore, man. Now it's like about Instagram and all of that stuff like yeah, that. Nah, there was no Instagram. I couldn't get in trouble. Couldn't get in trouble. I was beaten. <laughs> beaten. Well, did you ever go too far? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Woo! I remember those times, brother. Uh, uh, Lord have mercy. Yeah. <laughs> Any of the usual suspects that we've heard about in these rap songs and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah I'm sure there's yeah. I know. beating. I beating. I know beating. That's crazy. Listen, <clears throat> I'm glad because I was about to be really sad for you. I was about to be like, he built Fubu, and this entire time he yeah. couldn't do it. But now nah, you 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 got it popping. I was getting it in. Yeah, um, I'm glad. But that, that really did my soul well. What was your best city? What's your be- what was the what was the from from in the in the era that you were sitting on the throne, especially when you, what was the best city for action? For action? Yeah, the best city for beating. Mm-hmm. Well, Houston was fantastic. Houston? Houston, because you had a mixture of the, the Latinos uh-huh. and, and the, um, and the and sisters. Thick. But see, y'all from Atlanta, New York, I can't really handle Atlanta, it. Atlanta, chocolate was crazy. <laughs> L.A. get the little snowflakes, a little okay, sand, okay, you know a little precipitation, yeah, yeah, a little bit bare. Don't sleep Toronto though. Ooh, I keep hearing about Toronto. Fantastic. I keep hearing about Toronto. Toronto was it, but nothing, nothing did my heart nearer and dearer than Miami. I was about to say, I gotta hear uh-huh, Miami. Miami. I gotta hear Woo! Miami. You ever miss them days, bro? Mm, nah, I'm married now. <laughs> I don't miss those days at all. You got it out of your system. All right, um, so <laughs> um, <clears throat> that's dope, though. I'm glad because to be honest with you, you guys were were rock stars too, man. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, you guys were you yeah. guys were rock stars too. Did you ever have any issues with celebrities and Fubu and getting them product or just any back and forth? Like any, what's the craziest celebrity story from the Fubu era that you can remember? Um, I don't want to throw anybody out there, but I don't, I don't, I don't think we we were we. We have a we had a nice crew, you know. My, me and my four partners, we were known in the business as just being the dudes, you know. I mean, cool. we, we didn't have no beef records. We weren't, you know, nobody we, was popping yeah, shit. Yeah, you come away, you get close. Yeah, you know, we were the candy man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So we never really had. We just we we had a good time. Any brands that you see now out there that kind of remind you of like where you guys were? 
I don't I don't really know. I'm not that familiar with the younger brands mm-hmm. as, as as much as I should be at the moment. Um, so um, I can't say. Any, Can't any really brand, say not not, not too many that, that I'm thinking about. I mean, I know popular. I like pie. I like I like what crime crime by design does. You crime know what I mean? Design. But that's that's more art. Chris and Castles yeah. is good. Crooks is nice. Crooks yeah. is nice. Is good. Um, Mark Burnett, he had a fight. Did you hear about this? I heard. I heard. Tom Arnold. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple questions about this because this is crazy shit to me. So apparently, Mark Burnett, some kind of Navy SEAL or some shit like special that. forces. So. Wouldn't he just beat the piss out of Tom Arnold then? Like? He would. If the, it, Mark is very... First of all, he still does compete in the Ironman as well. So, so he's in great shape. So he's in great so shape. So you think that if they actually would have had a fight, then Mark Burnett probably would have kicked Tom Arnold's ass. Yeah. I, Mark Burnett is a very religious person. Yeah. Um, very calm. Be classy, man. He's classy a dude. classy guy. So I heard about the fight. I don't know any more about it. I heard Roma had a mark on her hand, mm-hmm. uh, his wife. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if a special forces Iron Man dude, if you are touching his wife, I would assume that he's going to defend his wife. Yeah. But if he wanted to get in your ass, he could get in your he'd ass. get in your ass. Well, do you think there's any truth to the fact that, like, <clears throat> excuse me, there are tapes of Donald Trump, like, saying the N-word and, like, Mark Burnett won't let those tapes out? Because that's what Tom Arnold seems to think, that they're apprentice tapes. Well, from from what's out there now, Amorosa says that he said the word mm-hmm. in front of her or around her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if he uses the word, mm-hmm. and I, didn't he say something on there, like, then the White House say something like, we can't confirm or deny. Yeah, they punt it. it. They punt it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so listen, if he said it, he said it. If Mark, But if, if, uh, if Mark Burnett has those tapes, it's not his business to put them out there. I mean, those guys were partners. You know what I mean? Mm. So, I mean, I... Would I want to know? Hundred percent. Right. But 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 if you and I are partners and we've been partners, for, you know, on this thing for a long period of time, whether I disagree or agree with you, I vowed never to release our business. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, kind of what that is. That's what it is. You know. Of all of the people that are on the Shark Tank, if you had to go into a business with somebody, long term, if you had to start the next big deal, which yeah. which one which which one of the sharks? Would you take to build a business? Well, what so the the factors need to be? See what I'm saying? <laughs> what? You're about to do macroeconomics again. So you see what I'm saying? I can't like the, the like he's so much smarter than me on these fucking things. <laughs> like like he was like, listen, it depends on what kind of business, which quarter we're in. You already know the, the answer. To see that you you're no. telling me that I, you're telling me that I'm smarter. You, you're saying exactly what I'm saying. I don't say. know what I'm saying. I'm parroting back things that I heard on Shark Tank. All of that shit I heard on Shark Tank. Everything well, if, a, if if the playing field was even and we were all broke, yeah. and I just and I had to choose one of them, it would be Barbara. Interesting. Yeah. Why Barbara? Because all of us have the same drive. All of us have the same. Um, you know, we're never going to stop, right? And all of us have the same determination. But Barbara is a brilliant, brilliant marketer. She. She can think of things and just ways, and she is just she's just brilliant. She just can pull shit out of her ass and and really come up with some creative ways to get the the product end of the brand out. Mm-hmm. So that to you is you you talk a lot about sort of I think you've talked a lot about marketing and your ability to market and your ability to sell. It seems like you put a premium on that in terms of. Of, of, of having a successful product. Yeah, you know, product is king, of course, but if nobody knows about it, right. then what is it, right? And um, the, and, and, and consumers t- today <coughs> can buy anything they want from anybody. Right. So how are you going to distinguish that you got the better mousetrap or this person desperately needs to buy this because it's going to do something for them? Mm-hmm. What are we missing? For all, all of us out there that want to invest in different things, uh, that want to have product, that want to move things, and sort of like, what are we missing? What areas of where, where can we be? What are the vulnerable areas for people to get rich? If you were investing money, or if you were uh, investing into product or buildings, like what are what are what are we not seeing that you that that you successful guys see? Well, how are you investing? First of all, in yourself to educate yourself, because what people don't realize is that 
money can be a disadvantage to you because you're paying everybody else because you think they're going to do something that you couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And the people that you see are the wealthiest people, are the ones that learn social media themselves and they go out there and they stand on the street and sell something and then they go and learn coding and try to build a site instead of going, well, I gave somebody $5,000 for my website and I don't know what happened. Or I hired a salesperson, they're telling me that, uh, you know, I needed to make it purple instead of black. No, you should have got your ass out there and sell mm. so you can find out why the person wasn't buying. Right. right. I hired a social media expert. Well, if you don't know the basics and the fundamentals of it, how do you know what the expert is doing? Mm. Right. So a lot of people, you know, these, these old sayings, you got to invest in yourself and that's what people need to do Mm. so that's what people miss because they come to the sharks all the time and go i need your help i need you i need your money i need your help what do you want me to help you do right i need you to help me do this well if i knew so goddamn much then fubu would be nike it's not (laughs) right 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 right, so what am i going to teach you that you can't learn right now now Mm. i can open up doors and anybody in the world will take my call once Mm -hmm. but you better come through with something that they can do or they're not going to take my call either right so what's your what's kind of broader question what's your you've done a lot of stuff you're out here you do talks you do seminars you write books yeah what's your message to the world what would be the one thing that damon john would want to convey to people that he you don't think people absolutely believe or that they don't know besides about money well, that you can do anything you want to do if you really, really go out there and learn and, you know, you have a strong rejection muscle and that you educate yourself and surround yourself with like-minded people. Because like I said, I got left back in school. I don't have, I, I wasn't born with any kind of wealth. I didn't know anybody. I didn't go to college, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> but by self-educating myself and then having mentors around and keeping like-minded people and failing and keep trying and failing, I got to this level in life. And that I know anybody can do this. And it doesn't mean that you have to do this to be well. Wealthy, because a lot of people don't necessarily want well. If you want to start a small company to do something, so you can work six months at home to be around your child to have more time and enjoy your life. Yeah, or, or you want to work out, you want to run up a mountain every day because your health is the most important thing to you. You want to go save the seals, whatever is your thing, or you want to give your time to charity, right, to stop human trafficking, or you want to have enough money. To where you can go from Houston to Miami mm. to Atlanta, beating, to LA, to beating. And I didn't always go there. I flew them in. <laughs> so commercial, commercial. Oh my God! They can't coach. even coach. No extra leg room. Nah. <laughs> um, so that's what that that's what you would say. You would say uh, that to you, wealth is more about quality of life than it is about the size of your bank account. A hundred percent. Why is that message so hard to get people to believe? Because until you have wealth, you don't understand what it is. And I love what Pitbull says. He says, why would I want a, you know, a billion dollar company with trillion dollar headaches? You know? Mm. So until you have it, you don't realize you, you think that it's going to get you things. Now, will will money get you things? Absolutely. Gets you better uh, resources for your family, puts you in a safer place to live. Better food. Food, better yeah. medicate, you know, yeah. better 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 things like that. And 100% people should uh, strive to have that to, to get these things. But I don't want to be a billionaire. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't need to be a billionaire. You know, like, what am I going to do? How many houses am I going to sleep in? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm still sleeping. I got, you know, I don't need it. Yeah. So when people realize that, and then I tend to see when people don't stress money, money comes. Mm. I didn't I didn't think FUBU was ever going to make it. I was just making hats. It was never done before on that level. Mm-hmm. I was just making hats. And I was hoping that I would have a corner store. I mean, I would have a store where my friends and I can sell our clothes at. And we were hoping that one day that would happen. But that and one day. What was the biggest year y'all ever had? Well, we do about 350, 375, um, $375 million a year. But in my business, that's not big. $375 million isn't big? Nike does $35 billion annually. That's crazy, man. That's a lot. That's crazy. Listen, y'all do me a favor. <clears throat> I made the white people clap at the beginning of the podcast, but now we're at the end of the podcast. And because I learned some things about Damon John that I didn't, think that I was going to know specifically about the beating okay and let's make sure that they understand beating is not the physical beating yo if you listen to this podcast and you don't know what the fuck we talking about 
get your little ass off the uh, off the fucking thing and go talk to your parents and watch some play some Roblox or watch Dora the Explorer. Obviously, we're not talking about no beating. We're talking about sex between consensual sex. We have to say it's consensual sex between uh, a man and in Damon John's case, probably like a bunch of different women, like a whole goddamn Nelly video from what he was saying. Best strip club in America. Quickly before we end. Oh, Magic City. Atlanta. Yeah. Used to be. Well, yeah. the Gold Room in Atlanta. Gold Room. But you haven't, have you been to some of the new strip clubs? You ever been to nah. Ace of Diamonds out here in Atlanta? No, no, no. I was at Sapphire, Sapphire Sundays, though, in New York. Not bad. That's all right. We're going to get Damon in trouble. Y'all, give it up for Damon John, everybody. Thank you. That was fantastic. Oh, plugs, plugs before you leave. Please plug something. Please plug things. Shark Tank, new season, October 7th. Uh, you know, my digital curriculum is <clears> called <throat> Damon on Demand. You can go to DamonOnDemand.com. It's eight hours of teaching you all the fundamentals of being an entrepreneur and letting you. Amazing. Yeah, make sure that you can avoid those landmines that I ran into growing up and mm -hmm. coming into the business. So, uh, um, last book, uh, Rise and Grind. And catch me on at the shark. At the shark, uh, Damon on Instagram. What are you about to say? Oh yeah, I got motivational tracks. I, uh, somebody's starting to uh, my, my people starting to score my speaking engagements. So people, oh, are, you know, put a little music behind. Yeah, them. put but yeah. So we'll give you links if you want to pop. Yeah, up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where else can they go? Oh, you guys will have the link, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can get motivated, get ready to go to. Yeah, Damon is being handled right now, you guys. He's got handlers with him. Uh, and they're letting him know what he should plug in order to make the money. So no, well, you know, uh, I was sitting here just trying to give love, and then you said you, you was gracious enough to say plug things, some things. I didn't come in thinking about plugging nah, things. Nah, we gotta plug stuff. Man. All right, we well, gotta I appreciate it. Give it up for Damon John one more Thank time. Thank you. That was fantastic. Thank you.